I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we read that and as we summarize and confess that in Lord's Day 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And there we find the following, but may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner. Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No, a lawful oath is a calling upon God, who alone knows the heart to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. So far. In response, we will sing after the sermon, Psalm 61, the stanzas 4, 5, and 6. The theme for the sermon is the claim of God's name on all of life. And we'll look at two points, how this is shown outside the church with the oath, and second, how this is shown inside the church with the vow. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God has made us as relational beings. And as such, we interact with each other and we make promises and commitments to each other. Such promises and commitments are not to be taken lightly. And just so that we are clear, a promise as defined by the dictionary is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. Or it's a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance of a specified act. Now, when we don't keep our promises to God, it communicates that we don't value God. We don't consider Him very highly. Or we don't consider what He says to be of much value. We have chosen to put something else ahead of our commitment to Him, and what we vowed could be expected from us. And we can then shout as loud as we want that we still believe in God, but we're not honoring Him. And the same is true of the promises and vows that we make toward each other. Even when we break small promises, others learn that they cannot count on us and we really don't think much of them. We are not only communicating all of this to God and to others, but we are telling ourselves as well that we don't value our own word. We think it is okay to let someone down to say something that we don't mean at all, 
or to fail to follow through on something we said we would do. The Lord God calls us to be a promise-keeping people. And he wants us to check in with ourselves from time to time to examine the motivations behind all our promises. Why am I making a particular commitment? What is my intention? Am I making promises and saying yes so that I can get what I want? Or to ensure that someone else will like me? What is this? about. Now because of the propensity of human beings to break promises and to violate each other's trust, promise-taking, promise-keeping, promise-breaking were elevated to a higher degree when confirmed by an oath or a vow. And this is important for us to discuss on a regular basis because so many of our relationships are defined in terms of promises. Marriages, profession of faith, baptism, entering public office, witnessing in court, they're certified by promises. And when these promises are made, we call upon the name of the Lord to bear witness that we are speaking the truth and nothing but the truth. We appeal to God to judge our truthfulness. We put our soul accountable before the searching critique of Almighty God. And when we take a vow, we are saying that we are committed to fulfill the promise we have made, and we call on the name of the Lord, we call the Lord to the witness stand. Those who stand up and testify in court, in church, or anywhere else, stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who knows if those who speak if those who are speaking are telling the truth and nothing but the truth. The reason why we are to keep our promises and commitments is because the Lord God has a claim on our life. And this is the way the oath should be used. Now in a society that does not have much respect for truth, and where people keep promises with their fingers crossed behind their backs, we need to uphold the necessity of biblical oath-taking. And we can distinguish between the judicial and official oath. The judicial oath is used in a court of law. And it is a promise to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And the official oath is taken when one enters a public office, an office of trust. For example, when a person becomes a cabinet minister, a police officer, or a doctor, there is what we call a swearing-in ceremony. The judicial oath is meant to bring out the seriousness of the testimony. And the official oath is meant to bring out the weight of office as a public trust. 
Now, there are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who do not agree with such oath-taking. They're convinced that swearing an oath is not for Christians. The name of the Lord should not be used in public life. And in the 16th century, this was a huge point of discussion. The Church of the Reformation was opposed on two fronts. One group, known as Christian humanists, were of the opinion that God doesn't really have a place in public life. Why would he have to be dragged into politics or economic or social issues? They thought we have enough insight and discretion to manage those areas on our own without pulling God into the picture. And others refused to swear an oath because Jesus had said, do not swear at all, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Moreover, they suggested anything outside the church was under the dominion of the evil one. The world is divided in two camps, they suggested. Grace versus nature. The kingdom of grace is under the authority of Jesus Christ. And nature is subject to the powers of the evil one. And so all of public life, including the government, belong to the world of darkness. Believers are the children of the light and heirs of the kingdom. They bear the name of God on their foreheads and they're allowed to praise the name of the Lord in church, in their homes. But outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the fornicators, the idolaters. Outside is unregenerate mankind, Outside is the world of the unclean, the kingdom of Satan. And since worldly authorities and governments belong to the kingdom of darkness and serve the devil, it would dishonor the name of the Lord if a Christian would use his name when in the courts or when entering into office. After all, you may not give what is holy to the dogs, and don't cast your pearls before the pigs. Public life is something you shouldn't participate in because it is outside the realm of God. And so to swear an oath, these people thought, in public life was equivalent to profaning the name of the Lord. Now such thinking was rejected by the reformers as being unscriptural. And think of the consequences of such an argument. That would mean that part of this world would be outside of God's domain, as if he doesn't have any rights in public life, as if the Lord were only locked up in some spiritual realm, and that would mean then that we would have to pull back all the troops who work on the frontiers of God's kingdom in mission and evangelism. And then we might as well forget about talking about a political, social, and economic calling. We would have to withdraw from the world to our own little island 
And it would be irresponsible and wrong for us to publish notices in our bulletins about activities of ARPA, for example. But where would you find a place not soiled by sin? It isn't in church. And you will not find it by sticking to your own family circle because sin isn't in some realm outside the church and outside of our families, but sin dwells within our hearts. I'm sure you've heard the line before that goes something like, if you find a place in this world where there is no sin, don't move there, because you'll wreck it. And you will. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is to receive honor in all areas of life. He's not owner of part of this world, a spiritual part. As if God has his shares in this world market and Satan has his shares too. Not at all. Psalm 24, which we sang, says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Yes, there is a kingdom of darkness and Satan is called the ruler of this world. But the territory which Satan occupies belongs to God and to his Christ. The devil has no rights. He confiscated what does not belong to him. Public life belongs to God and it remains his, and he will redeem it through the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ. The truth is revealed to us in a wonderful way in Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is a psalm about the ark of God's presence, about Zion and Jerusalem. Surrounding Jerusalem and Zion is the earth and all who live in it. Zion, which is the church, is the headquarters of the King of Glory. And from there, he rules the entire world. He seeks the redemption of private and public life through the blood of the covenant. The world belongs to him. And therefore, as church, we may never confine the name of the Lord to our own little circle. Now, of course, that raises all sorts of questions. What about those people who do not confess the name of the Lord and don't want anything to do with God? And what about those who do not keep promises because they have no desire in their hearts to be committed to the Lord when they enter public office or when they stand before a judge to give testimony? And what if the government doesn't care and acts in an unchristian manner, just as we see in our society more and more, also on the provincial and federal levels. Aren't we profaning the holy name of God? Brothers and sisters, we should be careful that we do not bow to public pressure and get rid of the oath. Just because many do not acknowledge its importance 
And just because some may use the name of God as a mere formality doesn't diminish God's rights in all of life. And one day the Lord God will punish the improper use of his name in public life. Many misuse the oath by using it improperly and and at inappropriate times. And they will use strong language almost immediately if a person questions their integrity. Then they're not afraid to use the oath. They will say things like, I swear, I swear to God, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. And that gives us all the more reason to promote the proper use of the oath in our society. And it means as well for us as adults and young people that we come to understand why we say those things and not to misuse the holy name of God by saying things quickly as, I swear. For we have learned to know the significance of the name of the Lord our God, and we must stand up for the rights of our God. We must stand up for the rights of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The oath is still commonplace in our Canadian society, and we must thank God for this. And we must pray that the government uses it to promote fidelity and truth. And at the same time, it is a witness of the living God. Every Canadian who has stood in court or who was sworn into public office or who watched it happen has been confronted with God's claim. He is Lord of public life. Beloved, let us be an example of the faithfulness of God and speak the truth and be a people who are reliable and trustworthy. For God is witness of every word we speak. We must speak the truth even if we are never called to swear an oath. We are to show fidelity. And that word means faithfulness and truth in whatever we say. And that brings us to our second point. For the oath is the indication of God's claim on all of life, and that is also shown in what happens inside the church. The saints of the Old and New Testament swore oaths. And these oaths were not only sworn in the presence of people outside the covenant in the church of God. David swore an oath to Saul and Paul to the churches at Rome and Corinth. And we could add that our Lord Jesus Christ swore in the presence of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And if there is anyone who doubts that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, point them to the fact that Christ himself swore an oath on it. The high priest makes Jesus speak under oath He says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then doesn't back off and say, I don't do that. He doesn't hesitate. The head of the church swore an oath 
so that there would be no question about it. He called on God to witness that he was speaking the truth. He didn't hesitate to swear an oath that he indeed, our King and Lord, is the Savior of this world. And immediately after he swore the oath, he said to the high priest, Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Because Jesus knew that God would vindicate him and prove that he did not swear falsely. And disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ, must speak the truth and nothing but the truth. Because everything you say is in the presence of God. It is unacceptable to God to say one thing with your mouth and to be planning another thing within your heart and mind. To be praying for forgiveness and already having the wheels of your, your mind turning, planning your next move that will ultimately lead you to sin. There are situations where an oath must be taken to bring a matter to rest. But under normal circumstances, we shouldn't need to empower the truthfulness of what we say with an oath. In public life, where the lie rules, the oath is meant to bring people to speak the truth without restriction to promote faithfulness, fidelity, and truth for God's glory and our neighbor's good. And in the church, the normal way we make solemn promises is through our vows. We're to be faithful and committed to fulfill what we said we would do. That our yes is indeed yes. In Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4, which we read, we find these words, When you make a vow to God, do not delay fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vows. And these are some of the most overlooked and neglected words in all of Scripture, especially in a day of shallow and superficial commitments. A vow is viewed as a nice idea, and then we smile when a young couple exchange their wedding vows, and we say things like, wasn't it wonderful? how she looked in his eyes as they made their vows. But how many look at their vows as something special and permanent? Who thinks of the vows that they made several weeks, months, and years after they made them? Do couples, even when there are difficulties, sit down and say, let's go back to the basis of what we promised. The preacher cautions us to watch what we say. Our vows are meaningless if we do not keep our promises or if we totally forget about what we vowed, as if that's not on the radar screen at all. And notice in verse 4, the preacher is not asking, if we make a vow, 
would we keep it? But he assumes that making vows is what we are called to do. When you make a vow to God, brothers and sisters, if you make your vows superficially, you make a mockery of the saving work of Christ. Making our vows indicates that we surrender ourselves to the Lord. According to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 23, making a vow is a voluntary matter. No one stands behind you with a whip telling you, now make your vow or else suffer the consequences. And furthermore, we should be careful not to think that we can come back on what we have vowed and promised. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 6 says, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. In other words, do not try to worm your way out of something you once took seriously in the presence of God. We have no right to say later on, oops, I guess I shouldn't have said that. I did not realize that my, my, my life would go in a different direction. Meet your commitments. Fulfill what you have vowed. And if you have strayed from what you have vowed, admit to that. And today is another opportunity to make good on your promises. And this is why, and this is the way we should talk to, to those who are straying as well. Most of the time the issue is not the church or how other people are treating them. The bottom line is being people of our word. It has become quite popular for couples to write their own vows in our society. And in many cases, these vows have totally lost their meaning as promises that are meant to be kept. They are no longer seen as words and promises that come and are made with the power of an oath. And so couples try to outdo each other with vows that wow. And they try to write heartfelt, sniffle-worthy vows that will make the bride cry and the audience laugh. But they have become statements of intent that are easily discarded. And so, brothers and sisters, our vows must be kept seriously. They should never be made out of custom or superstition or a mere formality or in a lighthearted fashion. Your I do should not be a meaningless, vain lip service. Whatever you say should come from your heart. And that's why the preacher concludes this section by saying, therefore, Fear God, or in other translations, stand in awe of God. In other words, look with breathtaking admiration at the character of God. He knows you and me through and through. 
He knows the sin in our lives. But yet He does not destroy us. If God would mark our transgressions, we couldn't stand before Him. But now we may rejoice and we may say in humble thankfulness, Lord, I stand in awe of You. Oh, the bliss of this. My sins were nailed to the cross and I may be in Your presence. And standing in awe of You, I do not want to do anything that grieves You or does not meet with Your approval. I want to live out of that grace that You have given and that You have shown so clearly in my life. Oh, we make our vows knowing that we fall short in what we promise. And all of us, when we look back at the vows that we have made, will be ashamed at the times that we have failed to do what we said we would do. And it is there as well that we need to daily confess our sin. We're not accepted because we're doing such a wonderful job. But God accepts us through the merit of His Son. He's not looking for worshipers who are perfect, but for worshipers who are humble and honest. Young brothers and sisters, some of you may be preparing yourself to make a solemn promise in which you will express that you love the Lord and that you are committed to serving Him as living members of His church. Well, this is something that you may not take lightly. And the same applies to those of you who have made vows when you professed your faith, when you were married, when you were ordained to office, when you had your children baptized. Think back at what you promised and fulfill what you vowed in the power of Christ. If you desire to publicly profess your faith because it's convenient, because next year, for example, you're off to college or university or off to doing something else, and you will not have time in your schedule for instruction, or if you want to get it out of the way because you don't want to be in catechism for the rest of your life, then you're looking at the vow for the wrong reason. And sure, you can convince your parents, the elders, minister, that your motivations are right by giving all the pat answers. No one can look into your heart. But the Lord can and realize what you will or have promised is done in His holy presence. At baptism, we as fathers and mothers promise to instruct our children and to have them instructed in the doctrine of salvation to the utmost of our power. Why well, are we doing what we promised? By making sure that they get an in-depth knowledge of Scripture that they learn the songs of the covenant, that they know the history of the church, that they know what it means to live and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in all of their life, or do we follow the most convenient route that causes us the least amount of hassle and headache 
Let us all remember and meditate on what we read from Deuteronomy 23. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you may not be slack to pay it, for the Lord will surely require it of you, and it would be sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what has passed from your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. You cannot say, well, you know, I was so young then, I didn't realize what I was saying. You made the promise, and now it is your duty to do what you promised. And husbands and wives, when you got married, you promised with a vow to love your spouse, that is to be committed to him or her through thick and thin, to live with your spouse in holiness, to maintain and assist each other. Is that what you are doing? Take time out and sit down together and discuss what this means so that you do not start drifting apart. Get the right balance in your work, men, so that you can look after and guide your wife physically, spiritually, and emotionally. As women, you are you promised to look after your spouse and after your family. Don't let other things distract you from doing so. What we have promised may not be mere words. And don't think you can get away with less than what you have promised because others are doing that too. Others are burying themselves in their work, so why can't I? God heard what you promised. And brothers, elders and deacons, are you doing everything you can to serve Christ in your office? You elders in supervising, comforting, instructing, visiting, admonishing, you deacons in making sure that no one in the congregation lives uncomforted under the pressure of sickness, loneliness, and poverty, but that everyone in the congregation may enjoy the unity and fellowship we have in Christ. Vowing before the Lord, keeping our vows is an act of worship, to stand up before God and before witnesses. We are bearing witness to our faith that God can hear all things, that he can see all things, that he is omniscient, that he is omnipresent, that he is omnipotent, having the power to judge between us, and that he has the authority to judge whether or not we are faithful to what we are saying. Oh, it isn't always easy to do what we have promised to pay our vows to the Lord. Yet we may not resign ourselves to the situation. Instead, we must repent and in God's name and with his help, fulfill what we said. Brothers and sisters, from time to time, we need to be reminded of what we have promised so that we may be encouraged to go out and do it.
Taking vows, swearing oaths, is not merely a religious thing, but it has to do with all of life. We live in the recognition of the transcendent majesty of the Lord our God, and therefore, let us bow before him and plead for his grace as we seek to fulfill what we have promised. And may the Lord watch between you and me in all our ways. May he watch us like a hawk so that we do what we are called to do as a promise-keeping people committed to living to the praise of God's glory in the promises we are called to fulfill. Amen.